Hello, my name is Father John Bartunek, and I'm here to accompany you during your Holy Week at home uh, as we all accompany each other in these strange circumstances uh, which God is uh, not distant from but in the middle of, working in the middle. And today uh, we're going to reflect together, or I'm going to share some reflections on, on the central mystery of our faith, this cross. Uh, which we all hold up and gaze at today in a special way, not just in the movement, but throughout the whole church, uh, throughout the whole body of Christ. And it's interesting to reflect on as Regnum Christi members, when we join Regnum Christi, we receive a crucifix. That's one of the things we receive. Why is that? What is it about the crucifix that's so central to our calling uh, as Christians and in the movement? St. Thomas Aquinas, in one of his famous sermons, talks about Christ's passion as being in a certain sense, the place where a Christian can find everything we're looking for, everything we desire, whatever it may be, we can find it in Christ, uh, in his passion, in a special way, in his cross. Are we seeking patience? Are we seeking consolation? We can find it in Christ on the cross. Are we seeking light? Are we seeking courage and strength? Are we seeking wisdom? We can find it in Christ on the cross, both in his example, of how he lives his passion, and also in what he reveals to us about the truth, the truth of God, the truth of the human person, the truth of the world, through this intense moment of revelation, the most intense moment of revelation in the history of salvation, which is the passion, death, and resurrection of our Lord. So we're going to reflect on that today, and uh, I'd like to just share some thoughts um, about five questions and weave in some of my own experiences that I had or some of the insights I received uh, through my work on the movie The Passion of the Christ directed by Mel Gibson. Some of you may know that I had the, the great grace of accompanying uh, Mel and some of the other people working on the film and then I wrote a book called Inside the Passion on that movie which you can find more information about that at rcspirituality.org. Kind of goes through scene by scene, goes through the movie relating the artistic choices and the experiences of the artists and the, the significance theologically of each scene in the gospel. So the first question uh, I'd like to maybe reflect on together is really, uh, why did Jesus choose, why did God in his wisdom choose to work the redemption through such intense suffering? I mean, why couldn't he have done it some other way? Why didn't he do it some other way? And this is a mystery which is unfathomable. We can't resolve it completely, but we can reflect on it. And especially, I think, one of the things uh, that we can reflect on is God chose to save us from the consequences of sin, original sin, the brokenness of a sinful world, a world that's been inundated with evil. He chose to save us from that, not by eliminating suffering, but by meeting us in the middle of the suffering, by coming to suffer with us. Compassion means to suffer with. And God chose, in a sense, to respect uh, the, the freedom of his human creatures, the abuse of that freedom through sin and its consequences. He doesn't eliminate, he doesn't eliminate our human nature. He respects it and he invites us to, to repent uh, and to share in the fruits of his redemption by coming to be with us. That is a thought that can really comfort us because none of us avoid suffering in this life. It's part of all of our lives. We can't get out of it. Uh, and we need to, to understand that God has chosen to meet us in the middle of it. And so we as apostles, as, as Christians as well, have to learn how to accompany people, how to meet people in their suffering and walk with them. Compassion. But there's another reason as well. And 
Original sin was really the, the breakdown of God's original order for our world. Uh, and we always think of it as disobedience, but the disobedience, the Catechism tells us, flowed out of a, a breakdown in trust. Tempted by the devil, our first parents let their trust in their Creator die in their hearts, so the Catechism tells us, and then they disobeyed. So the redemption has to somehow rebuild, reconstruct the trust that we have for God. Instead of doubting His goodness, instead of doubting the wisdom behind His commandments, we need to regrow in our trust, kind of uh, rehabilitate our trust in God. And one of the great aspects of Christ's revelation in the Passion is this dramatic revelation of His trustworthiness. That no matter what we do to Him, can spit on him, betray him, crown him with thorns, humiliate him, judge him unjustly, condemn him, crucify him, abandon him, torture him. No matter what we do to him, no matter what the sinful world does to him, he never stops loving us. There's no limit to his commitment to us. There's no condition on it. And that comes across powerfully when we contemplate the extent of his suffering, the depth of his suffering, kind of reveals the depth of that commitment and that love. Even in his worst moment, he, he prays for his very persecutors. Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they do. He is all in for us. And he knows that it's hard for us to believe that. Because in this fallen world, so many people that we've trusted and that we should have trusted let us down in so many ways. We've been wounded, and so we've built up walls around our hearts, and we're, we're hesitant to trust deeply, even to trust God. So he wants to, to reveal over and over again through the liturgy every year, through this mystery of his passion, that he truly is trustworthy, that no matter what happens, he's not going to abandon us. He's not going to give up on us. Uh, and so that's another theme that we can contemplate on this day to just see how, how trustworthy God really is, that He wants to be with us in our suffering, and that He chose to save us by suffering so intensely because He wanted to show how intense His commitment, how thorough His love is for us. Um, I think this kind of can manifest itself, this God working in this mysterious, in this hidden way in the midst of this fallen world. He doesn't take away all the fallenness. He works in the middle of it came across in the experience of one of the actors uh, in the movie, The Passion of the Christ, the actress, Sabrina, who played Veronica, uh, who had grown up Catholic, but then fall had fallen away from her faith. And she was a successful actress, and this was the only role that she had in the film. And if you remember, St. Veronica uh, is you know, the, the sixth station of the Stations of the Cross. And in the film, she sees, while everyone else is abandoning Jesus, and while he's carrying his cross, and then he falls, and he drops his cross, and the soldiers are kicking him and the people are jeering at him. She sees him and she feels compassion for him and a certain love. And she, she glides towards them, towards him, through the crowds, kind of risking her own reputation, risking being associated with a criminal. And she kneels down, calls him Lord, and offers him a drink to comfort him. And then she offers her, her veil as well. And he takes it and wipes his face, leaves an image of his face on, on her veil. Uh, and and they have that moment of encounter. So she stepped in uh, to Christ's own suffering uh, and, and 
was present to him. Well, that was a very difficult scene to film because there's this chaos of all these bodies and all this, all this motion, and she kind of is meant to glide in almost like an angel. And in the director's mind, she represents all the Christians who will be faithful to Jesus through the centuries, even in the midst uh, of suffering, even in the midst of difficulty and persecution. Um, and so she glides in like an angel, but all this other stuff was happening, and they kept bumping into her when they were filming it. So then they'd have to start and stop again, over and over again. They filmed it more than 10 times. Uh, and so the actress, later in a public testimony that she gave after the film came out, um, described her own experience of filming that over and over again, kind of entering into the orbit of Jesus, looking him in the eye, calling him Lord, serving him, having an encounter with him. And she, who had fallen away from the faith, and who, in a sense, at this point in her life, when, when she got the role, she found herself even envious of her friends who still had the faith. She wanted to go back and have faith, but she, she had kind of drifted so far away that she, she felt like her soul was just a desert. There was no life in her soul anymore, and she couldn't even make an act of faith. And about, she said in her testimony, about the, the 11th or 12th time that she had to do this scene, because they kept having to film it over and over again, uh, as she looked into the face of the actor playing Jesus, as she looked into Jesus' face, she began to believe. O creduto, she said, she's Italian. I believed. Her faith was rekindled while she was filming that scene in a way you know, that no one would have planned. You know, ideally, they would have finished the scene sooner. One or two takes and we're done. But no, God was at work in a hidden way. God meets us in the midst of our suffering. God wants to reveal himself to us uh, in the midst of the brokenness of this world. That's what the redemption is all about. And I think this, this first question reflecting on why the suffering, I think, and that experience of Sabrina, the actress who played Veronica, makes me think of one of the five elements of life in Regnum Christi, which is personal accompaniment. It's, God loves to work through encounters, personal encounters. We have spiritual direction. We have dialogue with our team leader. We have... Uh, Built into our, our, our life and the movement, God offers us this personal accompaniment. We accompany others and we allow ourselves to be accompanied by others. And God works through that, just as he works in mysterious ways, uh, just as he worked in a mysterious way in that encounter that Sabrina had with the actor Jim Caviezel, who played Jesus. A second question that maybe can help our reflection on this holy day uh, during Holy Week at Home is, how can we contemplate this love, this trustworthiness of God. How can we enter into it? How can we let what God reveals during his passion penetrate our hearts more deeply? What can we do to make that happen? You know, here is obviously, you know, our life of prayer is central here. What does it mean to contemplate? And I think in these days especially, when the liturgies, when the readings, uh, when everything that the church is living uh, is, is so rich and so dramatic, we have to sometimes not just think about it, that can be very helpful, but simply be there with our Lord. Simply walk with Him, simply accompany, simply be there. And let the mystery unfold calmly and really contemplate it. The word contemplation actually comes from uh, a very old Indo-European root word, temple, which means a clearing, a clearing where we make space. That's what the original temples were, space in the woods to encounter the divine, to encounter God. We just make some space to be with him and to allow him to give whatever he wants. 
not necessarily overthinking it. Reflection can be good, and that can be a very important part of mental prayer and meditation. But at times we just need to be silent, gaze, watch, and let God speak to us. When uh, this is where the whole movie kind of uh, took shape in the director's experience of contemplating the sufferings of God. Mel Gibson was in a very dark place in his own life when he began to have a, a rebirth of his faith and his hope. And it was through, through con contemplating, learning about, yes, thinking about, but also simply contemplating uh, the mysteries of Christ's passion. I remember him describing how he was working with the screenwriter, uh, another Catholic who had suffered a lot in his life, Benedict Fitzgerald, very talented writer. They were working on the screenplay together and Benedict would write some, some scenes and then they'd get together, Mel would read them, they'd talk about it. So they're talking about some scenes with, uh, with Judas, some of the scenes in Judas, that Judas, where Judas comes up in the film. And they're sitting having coffee and, uh, and Mel has, he has the, the, some of the printouts of those scenes and he's just reading one of the pages and, and he keeps reading the same page. And he's just sitting there as they're having coffee together at this cafe. And Benedict started getting nervous. You know, a few minutes pass and he's not turning the page. A few more minutes pass and Benedict's starting to sweat. He's like, oh no, does he not like it? He's trying to figure out how, how he's going to fire me. And so after a few more minutes pass, he finally just got to a point where he, and, he, and so he, he kind of interrupted and he said, hey, Mel, you know, is everything? And before he could even finish his question, uh, Mel Gibson just kind of stopped him and said, shh, shh, quiet. I'm still with Judas. I'm still with Judas meaning that he was putting himself into the scene and just wondering, allowing himself to wonder what were the different people feeling? What were they experiencing as God continued to, to reveal his love uh, through the unfolding of his passion? That's a lesson for us. I think of how we can, we don't need to rush through these days. We don't need to figure everything out. We can simply sit with our Lord and, and trust that he's going to speak to us. Uh, and things can help us. Watching this film can help. Uh, a good spiritual book can help. But not to be too busy, not to feel pressure to figure it all out. Simply to be with and discuss, maybe even uh, with others, what, what you see, what you experience. Um, I think that's an important aspect of our, uh, of our contemplative life. And that reminds me as well of another, uh, another dimension of life in Redden Christie, what we call our spiritual life. Sometimes we can feel we can get too busy in our spiritual life. Uh, as if we have to do a lot and think a lot and figure things out. And definitely the mind has its place. Uh, that's, part, that's an essential part. We need to, to seek to know uh, with our minds, but also with our hearts. And in the spiritual life, the way that we live the sacraments, the way that we live our prayer, uh, sometimes it's good to slow down, to shift into a lower gear and allow some space for God to say what he wants to say, to simply be with Judas and Peter and John to be with Jesus and Mary, to say we're still with them, allowing kind of our hearts to learn to vibrate with theirs. A third point of reflection uh, could be uh, less, less theological of a question, and the question, where did this movie really come from? And as I mentioned, it came out of Mel's own experience of renewal uh, over the course of years. He was in a very dark place and, and gradually uh, many providential occurrences happened, which invited him to rethink his Catholic faith that he had kind of left behind when he uh, advanced in his acting career. And he went back to, to, to learn again, really, what, what it all meant. And he discovered the intensity of Christ's suffering. And that convinced him, as he studied what happens, what happens in a crucifixion and a flagellation, 
uh, is the intensity of Christ's suffering as he learned about it and discovered it began gradually with God's grace to convince him of the intensity of God's love. And he came to the point where he said, well, if Jesus suffered that much for me, maybe he really can forgive even my sins. And that was the beginning of a real spiritual rebirth for him, just as a man, as a Catholic. Uh, and eventually, as he learned more and more, and, and it, as he began to feel the grace of God, to experience the grace of God transforming his life, rekindling his hope and his faith, he said, I really want to tell this story. He wanted to share with others what God had given to him. Uh, and it's funny, he couldn't figure out a way to do it because he said, well, you know, it's, it's just a bunch of suffering and everybody knows what happens anyway, so I can't really make a movie out of this because the way that he tells stories is by making movies. That's the language by which he communicates uh, best. His genius comes through. Uh, but then he ran across a, a copy of uh, the book, The Dolorous Passion of Our Lord Jesus Christ, uh, which is the written narration of visions that were had by Saint uh, Anne Catherine Emmerich, an 18th century German saint who suffered a lot herself, but she was granted many visions of the Passion and very detailed visions, and they were written down uh, and published. You can still get that book today, English translations. So Mel ran across a copy of this book and read it cover to cover in one sitting, and it was so detailed that it made the drama of these hours of our Lord's life come alive for him. And it sparked, it sparked the, the inspiration, I can make this into a movie, we can make this work as a movie. And that was the beginning of the, of the process. And it's interesting to reflect on that, uh, how our experience of God, when it's authentic, we want to share it with others. And, and we need to be sensitive to the fact that I may share it in a different way than someone else. And we need to continue to allow the Holy Spirit to guide us and inspire us and see his, the hand of providence uh, and, and work you know, this other dimension, this other element of life in Raiden Christi, the apostolate. Allow that to flow from our heart, from our experience of God, from the talents that we have, uh, from the way that the Holy Spirit inspires each one of us. Uh, and that's where we're going to be more, most fruitful. That's where we're going to be able to share uh, most effectively with others what God has given to each one of us. A fourth question could be uh, kind of a specific question. How did the actress who played Mary do such a good job? Uh, I'm, I'm assuming that most of you who are watching this video probably have seen the movie, The, the Passion of the Christ, and you know that the, the role of Mary was portrayed fabulously, just in, in a very convincing way. For me personally, it's the best I've seen, really, uh, in, in film. And the actress who played Mary wasn't even a Christian. She was Jewish, uh, so she's not a believer. I remember after we saw the first cut of the movie and everyone, the cast and crew, was so moved. Uh, you don't really understand the power of a movie when you're working on it, because it's like doing a mosaic. You do a piece here and a piece there, and you put it all together at the end, but only the director, really, and the editor, really, are seeing it unfold uh, as you're making it. So after we saw the, the rough cut of the film, uh, I was talking with, everyone was very deeply moved, and we were, we just spent time in the parking lot afterwards just discussing, and I went up to, to Maya Morgenstern, the actress who played Mary, Romanian actress, and I asked her, I, I, you know, I said, you did such an amazing job, you captured Mary's role so perfectly, and you don't even, you're not even a, a believer in Christ, so how did you do it? And her answer was very interesting. She said to me, uh, well, at first I tried to, to play each, each feeling, each emotion separately. Here Mary would be sad, there she'd be angry, here she'd be resentful, here she'd be confused. But as I played each emotion separately, it just didn't seem to work. It didn't seem to connect. So 
I was trying that and I was trying some other things and then it dawned on me, she said. I'm his mother and I can't let him suffer alone. And once I got that insight, everything clicked. That's how she explained her experience of playing the role of Mary. I'm his mother and I can't let him suffer alone. And it was, for me, it was, uh, it was like, I think I meditated on that for the next couple weeks <laughs> and even afterwards. That really is a, a powerful and a true insight that the actress, even the actress, discovered the meaning of Mary's love by entering into the relationship that she had with Jesus. And, and I think this is, this is something that we all uh, experience to a certain extent, that the most meaningful dimensions of our life of faith happen in the context of entering into uh, relationship with Christ through through kind of this uh, the dynamics of encountering him in real people. And those are some of the most uh, powerful moments. We often have deep moments of encountering him by ourselves in prayer, uh, through the sacraments. But there's something about, uh, as she was, as, as the actress was reflecting on, how can I really understand what's going on here? And she entered into that uh, sense of, well, I can't let him be alone. It's not just about him and me kind of doing our thing. It's we've got to, we've got to do it together. That was a very powerful insight, and it, it may help our own prayers and reflections as we accompany Mary as well uh, during these holy days. And it also, once again, not to force things, but it does, it does make you think, doesn't it, of, of another element of life in Regnum Christi, which are the basic elements of life in Regnum Christi are just the elements of Christian life lived together. Uh, in accordance with how the Holy Spirit has brought us together, but the element of team life, the element of fellowship, the element of journeying together. I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna do this on my own. I'm gonna do this together with others, and we're gonna lean on each other. We're not gonna let each other suffer alone. We're not gonna let each other rejoice alone. We're gonna journey together, just as the early Christian community. And in the film, it comes across beautifully because Mary uh, accompanies John and Mary Magdalene, that those three are always together. You know, even on the, uh, uh, on the hill of Calvary itself in the film uh, and in the Gospels, right? So this is the little Christian community. It's an image of kind of the embryo of the church, accompanying Jesus, not letting him suffer alone, receiving grace from him. This is an aspect of life that's central for all, all Christians, all Catholics, and, and we live it in a special way through team life and everything that that, 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 that uh, entails in the movement. And finally, another a final question. Where does the cross lead? Where does the cross lead? We all know where it leads. The cross is not the end of the story. The cross leads to the resurrection. Uh, God doesn't uh, abandon us in the midst of our, uh, of our difficulties and our failures and, and our sorry. No, he leads us. They all have a purpose. Uh, and the resurrection doesn't come across very, very much in the movie. We see a little bit at the end. Um, the director didn't want to develop it too much because he couldn't. He, he didn't want to take away from the central uh, experience of the passion. But he needed to show it because the end of the story is the victory. It's the victory. The cross is the sign of victory. The cross is the new tree of life, and the fruit of that is the Eucharist. Uh, so we can long for that in these days when we can't receive it in the way that we normally would. But the tree of life leads to new life, right? So the cross needs to leads to new life, leads to the resurrection. 
Uh, and I think that's, you know, that's a beautiful thought to always keep in mind whenever we're contemplating the cross. It's never the end of the story. It's leading somewhere. And our own crosses, the own, our own sufferings, the difficulties that we come, whenever God's will and our natural preference don't line up, we have a cross in our lives. And those crosses are part of God's providence, and they're leading us to the resurrection, to join, uh, to experience more deeply the, the redemption in our lives. There's an old medieval phrase called per crucem, Ad lucem, through the cross to the light. This comes across even in the architecture of St. Peter's Basilica. I'm sure many of you have been there. But the four huge pillars right around the central altar that support the dome, uh, each one of them has originally, there was a little chapel on the second floor, kind of on the second level under each, pil each pillar, uh, which housed a relic of the Passion. St. Veronica's veil used to be kept there, uh, a piece of the true cross right above the statue of St. Helen, the head of the spear from St. Longinus above his statue, uh, and then um, the, uh, a relic from St. Andrew, who was also crucified as a martyr. So there were elements from the passion, the passion of Christ's passion, and then one of his apostles, the passion experienced by the church through the ages. Those relics and the reliquaries, the chapels where they were kept, were built into what supported the dome, which is a symbol of heaven, obviously, and the, the art, artwork on the inside of the dome is a symbol of the heavens and the choirs of heaven and the angels and the saints in heaven. So, so to get to the dome, you know, we kind of go through the passion. The passion leads us to, to heaven. The, the suffering leads us to the resurrection. And this is, uh, this is something that we can contemplate in these days as well as we look forward to Easter. Uh, the truth of Easter and the truth uh, of Good Friday are inextricably linked. Uh, and so we should never contemplate one without the other, keeping them together. And this, I think, is, you know, uh, reminds me as well of the, the fifth element of life in writing Christie, our formation, right? There's always more to discover. God, in the midst of our life and our journey, which is filled with its crosses, is forming us all the time. He's revealing himself. He's giving us more knowledge. Uh, and he's also shaping us. He's, he's forming our, our humanity uh, and, and our virtue. So, you know, the crosses are all part of that, right? Everything that happens in our lives, everything that God permits to happen, even the things that we can't understand right now, they're all part of His design preparing us to enjoy our place in His house in heaven forever. Uh, so those are some reflections on, uh, on the cross and inexhaustible mystery of our faith and linked to some of my experiences and some of the insights that I gleaned from working on the Passion of the Christ. So let's keep praying for each other in these days and count on each other's prayers. And I'll just finish with uh, a final image, another image from Rome, from the plaza in front of St. Peter's Square. Uh, there's a huge obelisk which was uh, brought in from Egypt in the very early days of the Roman Empire. Actually, maybe even during the Republic, I can't remember. It was brought back after Rome conquered Egypt. Uh, it was brought back kind of as a souvenir. Uh, so it's a, it's a single block of of granite, uh, and it was erected in St. Peter's Square uh, during the Renaissance, a little after the Renaissance, uh, and then it was topped with, so first of all, it was a symbol of the uh, most powerful god in the Egyptian pantheon back in pagan days, in B.C. days, uh, the sun god. It was a symbol of that, so it was a religious symbol, and it was a symbol of the empire of Egypt, how great they were, how, how permanent, how long-lasting that was. And then Egypt was conquered by Rome, so uh, they brought back the souvenir. The conquerors brought back uh, the treasures as a symbol that 
their empire was more powerful than the previous one, and they would erect it as a uh, as kind of you know a symbol of that, the power of the Roman Empire. And now it's erected right in front of uh, the main church of Christendom, St. Peter's Basilica. And on top of the obelisk is placed uh, a, um, a bronze cross, which is hollow. And inside that cross is a relic, a piece of the true cross found by St. Helen back in the fourth century. And in a sense, it's a symbol of something very dear to our hearts as Reagan Christie members, a symbol of the eternal, uh, the everlasting nature of Christ's kingdom, kingdom won by the cross, a kingdom signified by the cross, because it's God's love revealed on the cross, uh, which can never die and which gives the eternal fruit uh, of life in this kingdom, of life in communion with God. So we can think of that obelisk, these two great earthly empires which passed away, and yet the empire of Christ, the kingdom of Christ, uh, still exists, has existed, and will exist. His promise is that it will continue to spread and grow forever. And thanks be to God, through His grace and through His providence, we're members of that kingdom. So we can finish this reflection uh, with our motto, with our cry of fidelity to Christ. Christ, our King, thy kingdom come.